what is the deal with the Apocrypha? Is it scripture? Find out on this upcoming episode. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, and we are your hosts today for this episode, Tyler Hurley and Robbie Lashua. Yep, here we are, back in our series on Roman Catholicism. Yes. We took a break last week because we had our special guest Clay Jones on because his new book just came out on uh, immortality and um, why and how death drives us. If you haven't checked out that episode, Mm. go ahead and do so. It was just a fascinating conversation with him, but I'm glad to be back talking about Roman Catholicism and the difference between Protestant and Catholic. Sure. And we've been getting a lot of feedback from uh, you followers on how uh, you've been receiving this information. And yep. it helps us too uh, know that we're not doing this for nothing. So we're yeah, glad that you guys nice are. It's nice to know somebody listens yeah, other right. than our moms, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> right, beautiful. right. Yeah, we love it. No, so. like it just, it's good to know that this, uh, this information is getting put to use. And uh, we, we're just very thankful uh, for all the feedback that we've been getting from our followers. So yeah, we are. We're, we're grateful for you. Yes. Yep. Yes. Now, back at at it with this series in Catholicism. But before we get into the heat of the topic today, we want to discuss a coffee tip. Yep, Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Always do a coffee tip. If you're new to right. the show, that's what we do, uh, which means we have like a hundred and nine coffee tips. Probably. That's a I don't lot know of coffee yeah, trivia. Yeah. We should put that a is. game together and have people like enter. What did we say on episode? You know, oh gosh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's that sounds yeah. like a lot of work. I don't That's know. That's fun. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, we. Uh, I mean, we don't have much. This isn't so much of a tip, mm-hmm. I guess, for you guys today. But I, uh, we did have an Instagram post in the past week about. Uh, coffee consumption during quarantine because uh, mm-hmm. coffee shops have been shut down, but they're now starting to open up, at least yeah. here in AZ. I know yeah. other states it's different. Yeah, if you're in California, good luck. Nothing's opening yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah. and so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we uh, we just basically ask like how some of our followers, uh, how some of you were coping with the lack of local coffee shops being open. Uh, but yeah, I mean, down here for us, we have like Starbucks open and drive through kind of, order pickup stuff mm-hmm. kind of like that but that's not the case everywhere and so uh as coffee shops have been getting to open up again uh, i've been really excited about it yes um but before basically the goal of this coffee tip we just wanted to share with you guys what we've been doing personally during this coffee pandemic yeah basically. what do we call it so this, this or, is our this is christ culture and coffee's quarantine coping coffee method or yes, something like for that coffee right holics. For, 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 yeah <laughs> co- quarantine covid19 quarantine coping coffee yeah whatever six c's yeah. something yeah, like 17 that and Seven, and a half c's. yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so okay so what i've been doing is um uh, kind of similar stuff like obviously i'm not going out and hanging out at coffee shops you know right. for it seems like it's been forever mm. but um been making pots of coffee at home been making french press at home i haven't done a pour over or anything actually mm, so okay. much work so i've just mostly been making a pot of coffee and drinking good stuff i actually i drove to a couple of local uh, roasters and i picked up a few pounds of coffee from them oh, just nice. so i could have yeah. good quality coffee especially for french press so that's basically what what kelly and i've been doing at the house um putting some cream in it sometimes drinking it black a lot of times that's that's pretty much it man that's good nothing yeah. fancy yeah what about you well well yeah for for me uh 
one thing in general that's been interesting, I've been consuming coffee at home a lot more than I used to be. Amen. Uh, like I, I'm working from home. Sure. So uh, I'm like, and I'm not out all the time. So instead of yeah. buying Starbucks because they, they were their drive throughs <laughs> open, like that's the only thing that we've had for a while. Your kitchen is your Starbucks. Yeah, thing. basically. Yeah. So I, I've been having to um, experiment with like different types of coffee beans too because we keep running out and I'm making okay. a lot more. So I'm like, I want my coffee at home to taste really it good. It needs to taste so better. I'm, yeah. This is yeah. this is the this is the main coffee consumption area. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's not the supplement anymore. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, okay, so I've been experimenting a lot. Stepping up your coffee game a little yeah, bit. That's yeah, yeah. I've been Tyler. playing around with my espresso machine mainly. Like, I've nice. been learning how to make uh, lattes and stuff. And like, uh, well, specifically like the right ratio. Look That's at what you, I mean. man. Like, you got to you gotta get the perfect ratio, the right yep. roast, the, the the grind's important too. Yep, and, and been, how, how compressed it is, right? Yes, and, and yeah, tamping. There's so, much, there's so much importance in how you tamp it. Yeah. Like, I... I've been learning that as I go because there have been so many times <laughs> that I've made bad espresso and I'm like, yeah. I can't drink this trash. I can't, yeah. yeah. And so, so that's that's how I've been coping with uh, making coffee at home. Stepping up been, your game. I've I been like doing it. some research finally. So I'm very <laughs> proud of you, Tyler. Thanks, You're I appreciate maturing. that. Yep, it took a virus to push you. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, hopefully, I'm more sanctified now. You know, and the Lord. You probably like, are. The Lord's his... favors upon you. I'm yeah, sure he's yeah. very, <laughs> yes, very pleased. <laughs> from, well done. From Good the Catholic perspective, barista. I'm, I'm, I'm up there. You know, you're way up there. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so, all right. So that's our coffee tip. If you have yes. any uh, methods or things you've been trying, or you just want to tell us how you've been coping with it, go ahead and drop it in the comments below this video. If you're listening on uh, Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, mm. or Castbox or iHeartRadio or Stitcher or everywhere else in the world that this is on, um, you can still drop us a comment. You can leave a review. Something like that would be yes, awesome. that'd but be great. We love hearing from you. We love interacting with you. So make sure you're following us on social and make sure that you are tuning in every week because these shows come out every Thursday at 4 o'clock Arizona time. That's true. Which, depending on where you live, is a different time zone. Most places yep. it is. All right. <laughs> Enough with that. Let's get into the topic for today, Tyler. Yes, let's do it. So the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha. That's is it. the Apocrypha biblical? Is the Apocrypha scripture? Now, some people might not even know what the Apocrypha is. That's true. Yeah, that as is Pro true. Protestants especially, I've noticed this about us, is we have no... Not no, but a lot of us don't have a concept for what the Apocrypha is or what mm. extra canonical books are. Yeah. And so we want to get into that. Now, some people may be familiar with uh, the Da Vinci Code, right? And, and, uh, all of that uh, stuff that came out a while—I'm pretty old. That yeah, was a long Hanks time movies. ago. That was like 20 years ago. They now, had the books. It? That's yeah. what it was based on. But yeah. yeah, that's right. Anyways, in that book, <laughs> what they really are dealing with is um, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, Gnostic Gospels. Mm -hmm. Those are not the Apocrypha that we're talking about today. Okay, right. so don't get confused with that. Those will be what's called New Testament apocryphal writings. What we're talking about today is what would be considered the Old Testament apocrypha. Specifically, this this is the uh, these are the extra books that are in the Roman Catholics Bible. Yes, and this is a this is a series on the differences between the Catholics and Protestants. And so that's what we're talking about. What are these extra books that Catholics have in their Bible that Protestants don't? Mm. Are they scripture? Why do we not have them? And why do Catholics have them? So that's yeah. specifically. Now, one last thing. There's also this thing out there called the pseudepigrapha, and it's not the same thing as the Old Testament <laughs> apocrypha, and it's not the same thing as the New Testament apocrypha. Right. There's 
obviously there's all these extra books. People have been writing books for a long time, yeah, right? And some of them are old and some of them are Hebrew books. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's scripture. So just as a caveat, we're not talking about the pseudepigrapha. Yep. We're not talking about the New Testament apocryphal Gnostic writings. We're talking about the Old Testament apocrypha, which is in the Roman Catholic's Bible. Yes, lots of new terms for probably some, quite a bit of you. Yeah, uh, things exactly. to, to process. We want to break it down and help people understand. It yeah, then, but so. that, this is important. It sets the foundation and it helps us again in this series. The goal is to understand what Catholics believes and what Catholics believe, and yep. this is in their Bible. Yes. Yep. So let's start off with what it is. All right. Um, so. Protestants and Catholics agree that there are uh, 39 books of the Old Testament, oh, 27 books of the New Testament, but we disagree on how many books there are in the Old Testament. Right. All right? So as Protestants, we agree that there are 39 books in the Old Testament, but the Roman Catholics actually have more books in mm -hmm. their canon. All right? These books are what are called the Apocrypha. They consist of the first book of Esdras, the second book of Esdras, Tobit, Judith, uh, additions to the book of Esther, the wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, mm. Baruch, the letter of Jeremiah, the prayer of Azariah, Susanna, Bell and the dragon, the prayer of Manasseh, and first and second Maccabees. All right, now, to be fair, first Esdras and second Esdras and the prayer of Manasseh are not considered to be scripture in the Catholic Church even today. Okay. Yep. They have them, but they do not consider them scripture. But the rest of these, they do consider canonical. Right, they do they, consider they the word of in God. Their Bible, though. Yes. They just don't consider. They just them don't scripture. consider them scripture. Yep, you've got it. So, um, the word apocrypha it means hidden, uh, secretive, concealed, and the idea here is that it, it's referring to a book. It's it's referring to a book whose origin is doubtful or unknown. Right. Okay. So it's like the origin of its unknown, secretive, concealed. We don't really know exactly where it came from. And this term eventually uh, came to be known as, as being non-canonical. Right. So yeah. it was a term people would use to say it's not scripture way, way back. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's where uh, apocryphal comes from. Uh, the Roman Catholics will refer to the Apocrypha as deuterocanonical. And that sounds like a really weird term, right? Mm. Um, well, deutero, de like Deuteronomy, right? Right, that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind when you hear that. Yeah, right. deutero uh, uh, or Deuteronomy, it means uh, the second giving of the law is what Deuteronomy means. Makes sense. Because yeah, you remember, Moses gives the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel he does it in Exodus, mm -hmm. but then he gives it again in a big speech in Deuteronomy. Right, yeah. Second giving of the law. Deuterocanonical means uh, to the Catholics that it's a second canon, all right, mm. versus proto-canonical, proto meaning first, right? Right. <laughs> first yeah. canonical. So they, <laughs> they acknowledge that these apocryphal books were questioned and were not part of the canon originally, Wow. Yeah. but were accepted as scripture later that's really interesting yeah because so not only do you have that argument of the um deuteronical canon but on top of that the the root the word that they're based in apocrypha in itself mm -hmm. was initially me meant like a term that was used in saying non-scripture yeah not 
not yeah canonical, not inspired word right. of God scripture. Right, yeah. and that's that's, that's really what it came fascinating. To uh, just thinking about the concept of its origin and how that term came to be. So it is. Uh, that, that provides a lot of context. So so what are some arguments though for it? What are some arguments that? Uh, they would give for the Apocrypha as being mm. Scripture. Yeah, there's, so there are some arguments for why it should be Scripture, all right? One of the first uh, arguments is that there are some New Testament books that allude to the Apocrypha. Right. right. So you're saying if the New Testament books that we know are canonical are alluding to um, or quoting the Apocrypha, then maybe it's legit. Right. It makes sense. Sure. So they'll point to, there's there's only really one spot where they can hang their hat on this. <laughs> Hebrews 11.35, they say that it might allude to 2 Maccabees uh, 7 and 2 Maccabees 12. And that, that just says might. It, it doesn't, man. It's a stretch. And and wow. I wish we had, we have so much to go through in this. I wish we had time to dissect all these. Oh sure. But like, sure. look up look up those passages, Second Maccabees seven and twelve, and see if it if Hebrews eleven thirty five is alluding to that. Now yeah. here here's the thing, even if it alludes to that, doesn't mean doesn't make it scripture. Oh sure. Right, because you know Paul quotes pagan philosophers. Yeah, in yeah. his epistles. But that doesn't make it scripture. It doesn't make them scripture. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no. So that's important for us to uh, remember. All right, but that's one of the arguments that some New Testament books, meaning one Hebrews eleven thirty five, might allude to the apocrypha. Now another argument that'll come up with this um, discussion is that there's some New Testament books that allude to or quote pseudepigrapha books. Mm. Now remember, they're not the same thing as the Apocrypha. Right. Pseudepigrapha books are Old Testament time books. And pseudepigrapha, it means it was written by a pseudonym. It was written by somebody else than the person claiming to have written it. Mm -hmm. So an example of that would be like First Enoch. Nobody believes that it was actually written by Enoch, the guy from the Old oh, Testament. Yeah who right. was taken up, right? But somebody assumed his identity and wrote as if they were him. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So that's what pseudepigraphal means. So we believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those guys actually wrote the Gospels. Right. Um, um, New Testament Apocrypha would also be pseudepigraphal in the sense that the, the Gospel of Thomas wasn't written by Thomas. It was written a, a couple hundred years yeah, later yeah, by somebody like, else. Yeah, like almost 200 years, right? Like yeah. Some, yeah, and so it just like... So it just means it's not written by who is claiming to have written right, it. Right, right. They're just writing something around that yeah. essence, but it doesn't... It's not... Yeah, and they, they don't even claim that, like, the time frame that they are yeah. that person. No, that's no, no, a, no. That's no, yeah. it's not like they're trying to trick you. It's right. just a way they would write. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's something important to clarify because yeah. obviously there's a lot of, uh, um, like, heretical books that we've discussed sure. on this podcast before. Uh, and, and these aren't, like, like heresy or anything like that. It's just uh, the, the the stuff, the words itself are not Scripture. They're it, not Scripture. No. Yeah, they're not inspired by God. And I would say that there are some issues with stuff that's taught in the apocrypha and oh, of course of course but yes. yeah but it's not like they weren't coming it's not out like to trick you into they're thinking. islam or they're atheists right they're they're jewish or they're christian sort of but some of them are gnostic with some weird ideas the right, new testament right. apocrypha. but what we're talking about this is all stuff that's old testament time period yes, or in, intertestamental time period to be honest yeah and that's just important to note just mm -hmm. to think that through so so some people believe that the New Testament alludes to the Apocrypha in some places. I don't think it does. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people argue that the New Testament may allude to or quote some pseudepigrapha. Now here, 
there actually is an argument to be made because the New Testament book of Jude does quote First Enoch one nine. Mm-hmm. So Jude, uh, there's only one chapter of Jude. So Jude one fourteen and fifteen, or people will just say Jude fourteen and fifteen because sure. there's only yeah. one chapter. Yeah. <laughs> so Jude fourteen and fifteen quotes First Enoch one nine for sure. Like, no mm. argument against it. Right. But just because Jude quotes first Enoch doesn't mean he believes Enoch is Scripture. Right. Yeah. Um, it also doesn't mean that um, the Apocrypha is legitimate because he quoted Pseudepigrapha. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think that's just such a stretch. And yeah, like I said before, is. Paul quotes pagan philosophers. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean they're Scripture. So th- that's another argument, though, that the Pseudepigrapha is quoted in the New Testament. Uh, Another argument for it is that um, the New Testament authors often quote from the Septuagint. This is true. Um, Just to remind our viewers of what the Septuagint is, it is a translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. Right. And in the New Testament, they quote a lot from it verbatim because they were writing in Greek. So they, they used the Septuagint. Uh, right, and at yeah. the time, a lot of people believed Jesus and his disciples used the Septuagint a lot, even in their own lives. Yeah, that makes which, sense. Yeah, no, it fits. N- no problem with that. Well, in the earliest uh, copies of the Septuagint, the apocryphal books were in there. Okay. So, so this argument saying, since the New Testament authors quoted the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old mm. Testament— then they must have been okay with the Apocrypha because the Apocrypha was in there. Mm. Well, maybe. Yeah. But one of the problems is that no New Testament authors quote the Apocrypha. Yeah. Which kind of would make you think, even if it was in there, that they didn't think it was Scripture because they don't ever quote it. That's, yeah. That's <laughs> something, kind that's of important, really something right? to consider, so. <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal. Um, okay. Another argument for the Apocrypha being Scripture is that a lot of Apocrypha books were found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right, yeah. Well, I don't know if that's a great argument because uh, there were a lot of other books found among the Dead Sea Scrolls yeah, that people don't consider Scripture. That's right. There was, there was just tons of writings in general that tons. were found there. Tons, yeah. So like, I, like, yeah, it's not even necessarily like— It was like even, a library. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so I don't understand how that— makes them scripture because then you have to say everything else found there is scripture which we don't right yeah. uh, some people argue that early christian art reflects some knowledge of the apocrypha sure okay uh, yeah yeah i'm fine with that like why wouldn't they right especially as we'll see that the early christian f- church fathers said the apocrypha is good to read they mm-hmm. just said it's not scripture so yeah. it's good like i read books that aren't the bible Oh, yeah, right. And there's I good mean, stuff. I mean, and I'm sure even like a lot of you, like our followers have done that before too, like read theology books. No, like they've you, never right. read anything That's other what, than oh, the Bible. There you go. Never. No Harry Potter. Wow. Oh. Tyler. Well, of course. I mean, I've never read Harry Potter. No, That's no the devil's nothing. Book. No, none of those Star Wars <laughs> fictions. No John Grish. No. Our, our, our viewers have only ever read the Bible. That's right? it. Yeah, nothing. Sure. No, yeah. Nobody's <laughs> like that, right? Of course we all read other yeah, stuff. Yeah, and, and that's on. the thing. And you can get good theology out of other people. You who can learn stuff. Good, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and so in the same way, that's kind of like how the early church fathers were treating the Apocrypha. Yes. So that's that's kind of what's going on here. Yeah, in this case. and there was even New Testament um, time books that they sure. would use, like the Shepherd of Hermes, um, the Didache. Right. There's these New Testament early first century Christian writings that weren't scripture, but they would use for devotional purposes. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. It is fascinating. So, and we we still have we those books. We can read those books. So, anyway, um, but is it scripture or is it not scripture? Right. 
One last argument for the Apocrypha being scripture is that some of the early church fathers accepted certain parts of the Apocrypha as authoritative. Mm. For instance, Clement of Alexandria accepted Tobit, Sirach, and Wisdom uh, of Solomon as right. scripture. Um, Origen accepted the Epistle of Jeremiah as scripture, and uh, Irenaeus accepted the Wisdom uh, as as scriptural or authoritative. Sure. So now this is interesting. Um, those guys could have been wrong, which I think they were, because um, they were wrong on some other theology yeah, stuff. Right. But also, um, none of them accepts the Maccabees, which is a big reason yes, why the Catholic yeah. Church wants the Apocrypha to be God's word. And we're going to get into why. Sure. But yeah. I just I want to point that out. None of the early church fathers thought the Maccabees was scripture. Right, and that's interesting because, and you can see the arguments that they're giving here. Uh, now that they're, I mean, this is pretty much it. Like this is these what are the got. arguments. Well, there's like, there's one last argument we're going to talk about at the end, and oh, it's sure, that sure. the Council of Trent said it's scripture. The right, Catholic Church right. decided the Apocrypha was scripture in 1546. And well, what's interesting is you see most, like pretty much all of their arguments are on church fathers. Yeah. word right sure. and that's what's interesting because if you have uh, been following along with this series and past episodes we've been discussing about how uh the idea of uh, i mean well, I, we probably touched on it a bit on the papacy uh-huh. uh how basically like early church fathers and the pope like their word is uh, basically well the pope is scripture yeah essentially sure. but early church fathers they're, they're authoritative and it's yeah, like traditions is, important Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so that's why they place these arguments so high on a pe- pedestal, and they think that automatically that should be accepted because yeah. it's coming from the mouths of the church fathers. Yeah, but see, here's a problem. From the mouths of church fathers, we also have the Apocrypha isn't Scripture. Exactly. So it just depends right. on who you want to listen to, right? Right. And so, so Robbie, what, what are some of the arguments now against the Apocrypha? Something to okay. count, Stuff that counters those ideas. Yeah, so, here, so that, those are the best arguments for why it should be Scripture. Right. Um, now, here's arguments against it, and I think that, that the weight of the evidence is on this side of things. Sure. <laughs> um, a couple of things. Okay, number one, the, the Hebrew Old Testament never accepted these books as Scripture. There's no place, there's no Jewish writings that say these books are on the same level as the Hebrew Old Testament. Wow. So that's kind of important. We're going to get into that a little more. Um, Another one is that the New Testament does not ever quote any apocryphal book as being scripture. Yeah, and that's interesting because, well, yeah, because it's quoted a lot. I, it's, mean, I mean, the law is. The Old Testament's yes. quoted a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the books of Moses are obviously quoted. Psalm are, Psalms are quoted. Yes. Um, the prophets are quoted. Not once mm-hmm. is an Apocrypha book quoted at all, but they're not even quoted definitely as saying, and this is Scripture. They're just never even mentioned. And so if they were right. Scripture, you would think that the New Testament writers would use them in the New Testament, or Jesus would have alluded to him. You would. You would think. You would think. (laughs) Now, this is interesting. So what was Jesus' idea of what the canon of the Old Testament was? Mm. There's this one passage in Luke 11, 50 through 51, that gives us some insights onto what Jesus thought the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures were and were not. Mm. All right, let me read you this. Uh, Luke 11, 50 through 51. Jesus says, So that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Okay, so Jesus is making an argument. 
all the prophets and of the Old Testament who were slayed, right? Who were killed. Mm. And then he he he's encapsulating them. All the way from Abel, the first one, all the way to Zechariah, the last one. And that's interesting, right? Yeah, because it's yeah. it's like a bookends. It's like an inclusio. He's saying all of them, right? Yeah, this generation yeah. is going to be guilty of all of that. Now, here's the interesting thing. Zechariah, the martyr, is mentioned in Second Chronicles 24, 20 through 22. Uh, and I'm not going to read that, but he gets killed, just like Jesus says, uh, right. between the altar and the house of God. But Zechariah lived at about 800 B.C., okay? He is not even close to being the last Old Testament prophet who was killed chronologically. Right. Right? Because you think about um, Jonah wrote after 800, Jeremiah wrote after 800, Daniel wrote after 800. Yeah, yeah. Malachi, Haggai, all these guys wrote way after 800. Yeah, and so it leads you to question, like, why did he end with Zechariah? Like, why is that the last— But what's interesting is Jesus quotes Isaiah as being a prophet. Sure. He quotes other guys as being—so, okay, so if Zechariah is not the last prophet who was killed— chronologically, what's going on here? Well, first of all, we know that two centuries after Zechariah, there was uh, Uriah, a prophet, who was put to death, because Jeremiah Mm. 26, 20 through 23 tells us this. Yeah. Okay? So did Jesus just not understand what was going on? Uh, No. (laughs) I was going to say. And this is what is very interesting. In how the Hebrew Old Testament was ordered— the last book of the Hebrew canon was Chronicles. And that's where it records Zechariah's martyrdom. All right? So there you go. So he's not saying chronologically. He's saying all the prophets in the Old Testament from Abel, Genesis 4, yeah, all the way through the Old Testament to the last book, Chronicles. Yeah. Zechariah. That's what he's saying. He's not specifically saying these are the only... Uh, Martyrs. In chronological time. Or, yeah. He's saying in the book, and the book starts with Genesis and the book ends with Chronicles. And I mentioned mm. the first one here and the last one here and everything in between that. Yeah. So Jesus is saying that that, that is the breadth of Scripture. Yes. Not the Maccabees. Because that was in the intertestamental time period. That's right. Right. So that's an interesting that's an interesting passage to look at and say, okay, what did Jesus think about the Old Testament scripture? And he's kind of saying the canon was closed after that time period. <laughs> and and the Maccabees and Judith and Tobit and all these other books that came after that, not prophets. Yeah, that's right. Not scripture. Yeah, okay? and that's so important to to know. If if the guy who rose from the dead is claiming that what the canonical, the canonical Old Testament scriptures were. Mm-hmm. I think we should take his word on it that yeah. that's the truth, right? That yeah, that's I think like, so. Jesus that, is kind of important. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think I think right. you're right onto something there. So so that's interesting. Um, so yeah, we have that the Hebrew Old Testament never accepted the apocryphal books as canonical. The mm. New Testament never quotes them as being scripture, and actually Jesus kind of gives us what the Old Testament canon was. Um, the other thing is that none of these apocryphal books ever claim to be the word of God. That's right. So internally, yeah. they don't say that they are scripture. Uh, a lot of the prophets will say, thus saith the Lord, right? The word of the Lord came to me. This is yeah. God's word. None of these say that. Um, the other thing is that uh, many, many, many Jews believed that the Old Testament canon was complete by about 430 B.C., and the apocryphal books all come from after that. 
That's right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish Roman historian in the first century, uh, in his book Against Apion, uh, where he, he, he mentions what Scripture is in the Old Testament— uh, what Hebrew scripture is, and when it was completed. And um, I don't have time to read this whole quote, but I wanted to tell you the kind of the bullet points we learned from Josephus. In Against Apion, which was about written about 95 AD, we learn that the books of the Old Testament were written from the time of Moses, who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's when they started, and they were written all the way up until the time of Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes uh, was between 464 and 424 BC. Right. Josephus says that's when scripture was written, which would mean after 424, it wasn't written. And yeah. it was after that that the apocryphal books were written. Uh, also, in Josephus's book, we can see a threefold division of the Old Testament, a pattern that looks very similar to Torah, prophets, and writings, just like Jesus said. Mm. Uh, also, he claims that the text of the Old Testament is very sacred and special to all Jews, and they're brought up never to alter it, never to displace it, never to disagree with the decrees of God. Wow, yeah. So he, he makes this claim like nobody would mess with that and add to it. Right, right. Yeah, That's, which, which yeah. is interesting when you think that the apocryphal books never claim to be God's word. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thought. You would think like 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 you're seeing throughout all the rest of Scripture, there's claims in them, literally saying this is this is from the Lord or this mm -hmm. is of God. But you don't see that through these books, and that's that's a big driving point of evidence of against the yes. apocrypha, and basically saying like, why would you trust it if it's if it's nothing like the rest of the canon? Yep, exactly. Right? So so these are some good thought provoking. Uh, like areas, I think, for why we probably shouldn't be considering that as scripture. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. I think the case for why it shouldn't be scripture is is pretty strong. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, we have other people alluding to how many books were in the canon of the Old Testament. Second Esdras, which is an apocryphal book, mm. not okay. Remember, the Catholics don't think it's scripture, right? But yeah. in it, it supports the idea that there were twenty four books of the Old Testament, which are the same as our thirty nine. Um, but the, the Jews kind of, they didn't break them up in as many sure, pieces sure. as the we way they break, break them up, up into. Yeah. yeah, it's the same exact canon as what we have. Uh, Melito, the Bishop of Sardis, in 170 AD, gives the exact list with the names of the books, same as we have today for the Old Testament. Origen, uh, who lived between 185 and 253, he lists 22 books, and he correlates them with 22 um, letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Hmm. But they're the exact same books. He puts a few together, you know, like uh, Jeremiah and Lamentations would often be put together because they're both written by right. Jeremiah, things like that. So we have a, a pretty clear case of what was regarded by the Jews as their scripture. Um, now, we also have passages that talk about how prophecy ceased in Israel. Right. Now, this is interesting because prophecy is God speaking to his people, right? Okay, yeah. so when did prophecy cease? Uh, I want to read to you from the Babylonian Talmud. Uh, this is in uh, Seder Nezekin 346. And it says, Since the death of the last prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the Holy Spirit of prophetic inspiration departed from Israel. 
Yet they were still able to avail themselves to the Beth Kol. Hmm, uh, Beth Kol, it's a Hebrew for uh, daughter of the voice. And the idea is that there weren't prophets speaking God's word anymore, but the Beth Kol, the daughter of the voice, would be this idea that we have the scriptures and we have wise men who've studied the scriptures. Right. And it's like the daughter of God's voice explaining it to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And so yeah. you see, again, like that that's another quote that we have saying like this is yeah like yeah wow <laughs> yeah there's a ton of these now w- one that i find very interesting is um found in first maccabees think about <laughs> this tyler so yep. an apocryphal right book source. is saying that prophecy ceased therefore yeah. you'd think that that book's not scripture yeah you would think so yeah i wonder that's yeah. that's what's interesting is it, it, Maccabees in itself, and um, that's the book. In fact, that the Catholic Church was—they were using that a lot. Yeah, back first and second Maccabees are very important. Yeah, yeah. For for why Catholics think it's scripture. Yeah, and then like yeah. like uh, I mean, it even includes uh, scripture they claim is scripture about uh, prayers to the dead, right? And well, like, that's the main reason they want to keep second Maccabees. Yeah, which is, is because why. there's this passage about how you can pray for people who've died uh, yeah. for 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 their salvation. Yeah, and yeah. so so it's it's interesting that you see that um they're they're very strong in keeping that text, but the text yeah. itself says this is not this is not well. Authority. First Maccabees says it, not second. Sure. Well, yeah. but, they, but they go together. Yeah, That's the thing. So it's, it's interesting. It is. No, it is. Yeah. Well, and you think about the motives for why the Catholic Church wanted to keep it, and we're going to get into that. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I do want to just read to you First Maccabees 9.27, an apocryphal book from the intertestamental period that does record some historical events. There's also some folklore in it. Oh, yeah. Um, second, or First Maccabees 9.27 says, a terrible oppression began in Israel. There had been nothing like it since the disappearance of prophecy among them. Prophecy had ended in Israel. Yeah. Therefore, this book isn't prophecy, isn't God's word. Yeah, and that's their own claim. That's that's that. the claim of the book. So yeah. we, we have people saying what the canon was. Apocrypha is not listed. We also have, listen, prophecy ceased. After Artaxerxes, prophecy ceased during that time period, and God wasn't speaking to his people through prophets anymore. Yeah, and again, that shows you, too, like, they're obviously not trying to trick you into thinking it's prophecy. If they genuinely said here, they're like, no, this, that, like, prophecy has already ended. Yeah, prophecy's ended, and everyone knew it because Malachi was kind of the last. Yeah, and that was it. Yep. So it, it really fascinating stuff here that yep. we're digging into. Another reason I don't think that we should consider the apocryphal scriptures because there's a lot of uh, inaccuracies and flat-out contradictions yeah, within right. the apocryphal books. <laughs> so this is interesting. There's a lot more than we can we can talk about. Oh, sure. But um, Tobit, all right, at the very beginning, Tobit 1, 1 through 4. Uh, he claims that um, that Tobit was departed with the Assyrians uh, to to Assyria. Mm-hmm. That he was part of that. Okay, so the Assyrian deportation of the northern tribes of Israel happened in 722, 721 BC. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he says that that happened to him, and then like two two verses later, he talks about how when he was a kid, uh, and he was in the northern tribes, and then they go up to Jerusalem to worship. Well, hold on, couldn't be. Because the northern tribes and the southern tribes of Israel uh, separated. There was a civil war. They became two separate nations. And that happened in 931 B.C. So how could he be a kid in 931 B.C. still going to Jerusalem? 
because it didn't happen after that. Mm. And then lived till 722 BC. <laughs> yeah, that's not... Bro. <laughs> no. Come on. Yeah. So most most commentators believe that Tobit was written in like 180 BC or 150. Yeah. So he didn't live Very in late. the 900s. He didn't live in the 700s. It's it's way after the fact. Yeah, and so it's like, why why would... And, and that's right in the beginning, too. That's it's the fascinating right, thing. right at the beginning. Yeah, chapter one, verses one through four. Like, yep. that's the intro. Mistake right off the bat. Yeah, and so that, that just, again, a, a, I think that's just a huge red flag into thinking like, hey, maybe this isn't... Maybe he didn't understand history very well. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so definitely not God's word. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, another one is J- Judith, at, again, at the very beginning, Judith 1 1. All right. Says, in the 12th year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, who reigned over the Assyrians in Nineveh, the great city. Okay. It sounds kind of similar to other Old Testament stuff, right? Sure. Well, what's, what's the yeah. problem with this? Nebuchadnezzar wasn't the leader of Assyria, he was the leader of Babylon. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> And what city did he rule from? Babylon. Yeah. Not Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Yeah, and, that's, and then the city wrong. of Babylon was growing up at the same time and it was kind of a co-rulership, but then Nebuchadnezzar wiped out the rival Nineveh. Yeah, I was going to say they wiped him out and then, so that's not that's a huge historical inaccuracy. Yeah, because Nebuchadnezzar didn't start ruling in Babylon until he destroyed the city of Nineveh in yeah. 612 BC. Yeah. So that's bad. Yeah, that's really bad. Just it, completely wrong. And again, this is right out, right in the beginning. Right, right? in the beginning. Yeah, and like I don't know what what the thing is with these texts, but it's like the first couple verses they already. Well, they sound like, like Old Testament writings. Oh, they sure, sound sure. like we're writing in this style and trying to be credible, but they're mistaken right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, another thing we we see First Maccabees contradicts Second Maccabees mm-hmm. five times, or or sorry. Uh, uh, Sorry about that. Um, a few different times. There are right, three right, right. different instances, three different instances where 1st Maccabees completely contradicts 2nd Maccabees. And then there's times where 2nd Maccabees completely contradicts things right, in 1st Maccabees. Right. Yeah. But then there's three times where 2nd Maccabees clearly contradicts itself. Yeah. That's a problem. It's, it's a whole mess of things. It's like you got you to gotta sort through. How, like, that's the thing. The, the Catholic Church in um, accepting these as canon and a part of the scripture, they have to sort through all these issues. Yeah, they create a lot of problems for themselves. Yeah, yeah and you just can't, you can't dismiss all the, these inaccuracies. Yeah. And they do, though. That's the interesting thing. And so it's, it, it's just interesting. Yeah, thinking. they accept them based on church, tra- not tradition, but church rule that the church decided we're yeah, accepting yeah. these and that's that's kind of what and that's it's that kind of thing yeah. yeah so now the now again these are arguments against it but i've saved the best for last i think the biggest argument against yes. it tyler is jerome right well who is jerome it's a weird city here in arizona i don't have you ever been there it's in jerome it's <laughs> I, a I think i'm funky like little city past it yeah but yeah yeah that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> we're talking about the early church fathers. So um, Jerome was a big-time player in the Latin church, yes. in the Catholic church early on. He lived about uh, a little before 400 and a little after, but but we'll say circa 400 is when he lived, mm-hmm. four, 400 A.D., all right? And he was brilliant, phenomenal scholar, and his work uh, has become known as the Latin Vulgate. This is a translation of the New and Old Testament into Latin. Yes. What was phenomenal about what Jerome did was that he knew Greek, and so he translated from Greek into Latin, New Testament. Mm. But then what was crazy is that a lot of people would translate um, the Septuagint, the Greek 
translation of the Old Testament, yes. they would use that to translate into a different language. Yeah, right, right. Jerome was going to do that, but then he moved to Bethlehem to learn Hebrew, and he thought, I need to go back to the original language and translate it once from Hebrew to Latin, yes. not Hebrew into Greek and then Greek into Latin. So he learned the Hebrew, the Greek, and and put it into Latin. Put it into Latin. Yeah, so he moves to Bethlehem. Yeah. He studies with a lot of different Jewish scholars and people that are explaining the language to him. He learn, he teaches himself Hebrew, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he begins translating the Old Testament into Latin. And his mm. Old Testament, New Testament, it's called the Latin Vulgate. It was it was finished, I think, about four twenty seven is when he completed right. it. And the Catholic Church has used the, the Latin Vulgate for most of its history. It, it's their mm. version, right? Because Roman Catholic Latin was the Roman language. Oh, right? yeah. Okay. So, um, <coughs> Jerome, what were his thoughts about the Septuagint? Yeah, you would want to know. That's this interesting. The is guy where, who made the Latin Bible. This is where it gets interesting. The Catholic official Bible. What did the guy who translated it say about the Old Testament Apocrypha? That's well, interesting. he said a lot about it, actually. But I want to read you one quote, all right? This is from his prologue to the books of Solomon. So that would be Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of mm-hmm. Solomon, all right? So before those books that he translated into Latin, he puts this little prologue, and this is what he says. <clears throat> there circulates also the all-virtuous wisdom of Jesus, the son of Sira, together with a similar work, the pseudepigraph uh, entitled The Wisdom of Solomon. The former of these, so the wisdom of Jesus, the son of Sirah, um, I have also found in Hebrew, entitled mm. not Ecclesiasticus, as among the Latins, right? Because that's what they call it. Yeah. But called parables. The latter, referring to the wisdom of Solomon, is nowhere found among the Hebrews. Its very style smacks of Greek eloquence. <laughs> the several ancient writers affirm it to be the work of Philo the Jew. Therefore, as the church indeed reads Judith, Tobit, and the book of Maccabees, but does not receive them among the canonical books, so let it also read these two volumes for the edification of the people, but not for establishing the authority of ecclesiastical dogmas. Oh, yeah. That is huge. The guy who translates the Latin Vulgate says, hey, there's these other books, uh, uh, Jesus, the, the Wisdom of Jesus, the Son of Sirah, and the Wisdom yeah. of Solomon. Now listen, Jews don't regard these as scripture, and we should read them like we read Judith, Tobit, and Maccabees, that they're yeah. fine for edification, but they're not canonical scripture. They're not for making doctrine from. Yeah, the, the person who made the Catholic Bible said this. Says the Apocrypha like, that's not, is not— That's not just some guy on the street or no. some random theologian. This guy, he made the Catholic That's a huge Bible. deal, man. And he yeah. actually, in other places, he, he goes into arguments on why some of these are wrong. He points out how in one of them, um, there's actually these play on words, these rhymes, like puns. Mm. But they only work in Greek. And if you translate it back into Hebrew, the puns aren't there. And yeah. so he points out, listen, these aren't written originally in Hebrew. This is pseudepigraphal. This is later. Yeah, like it was supposed like to be rhyme. We shouldn't accept this. Right, yeah. yeah. It has to be in Greek. It was originally written in Greek because it rhymes. Therefore, it's not old. He, anyway. Yeah, and so it was evidence. He, evidence. Yeah, he argues against apocryphal books a lot and says they're not legitimate scripture, but right. they're good for edification and for teaching and, and for sure. studying. 
Yeah, yeah. But that was Jerome's position on the Apocrypha. It's not scripture, and we should not make doctrine from it. Right, Okay. yeah. So the guy who wrote the Latin version of the Bible, the Catholic version of the Bible, says the Apocrypha is not scripture. And he gives good arguments for why. Yeah, and so that makes you to believe that maybe this guy's onto something, right? Like he made it. And so uh, you would think that the Catholic Church would take his word on it. And well, so here's the thing. They did take his word on it for right. about 1,100 years. Right, right. And that leads us to uh, the next point, right? Uh, the, the Council of Trent. Yeah, right? this is the big deal. Because I'm sure our listeners are hearing, okay, the evidence for why it should be canonical is pretty weak. The evidence against yeah. it being scripture is very strong. Why would anybody want this stuff to be scripture? That's the question. Well, yeah. fast forward. Jerome finishes the Vulgate in about 427-ish, and then you fast forward to a little guy called Martin Luther. Who's right? that? <laughs> he was pretty important, right? The Protestant Reformation. He writes his 95 Thesis, and the whole thing is based on this idea of the Pope selling indulgences, letters of yes. indulgence, right? Letters to give to people so they could get their family members who have died out of purgatory early, or they could mm-hmm. have themselves get out of purgatory earlier. Yeah. So if you made a donation so they could build this big cathedral, then you'd get this letter of indulgence from the Pope to you know get out of jail free card, get out of purgatory early card. Yeah, that's right. So the Catholic Church is making a ton of money selling this. Martin Luther can read Latin, uh, and he says, this isn't what the Bible says. Yeah. This is a big problem. We should not do this, right? We should not tell people that you can get out of purgatory early. And so the Protestant Reformation starts. And we've done some podcast episodes on that. I think for Halloween last year, we did a podcast yeah, we episode. Yeah, Because that's, right. that's when it was October 31st when he yeah. nailed the yeah. 95 Thesis to the wall. Anyway, the whole thing is arguing against this idea that the Pope can give you clearance out of purgatory early through pain and, and letters of indulgence, right? Mm. Well... Martin Luther protests that what the Catholic Church is doing is completely unbiblical. But you remember Martin Luther, one of the rallying cries of the Reformation is sola scriptura, right? Yes. Scripture alone is our authority, not the Pope. Scripture alone. Yeah. yeah well, the Catholic Church calls him on this. And they say sola scriptura, Second Maccabees, talks about prayers for the dead mm. and that we should pray for the dead and there's an effect on it. Therefore, your argument against purgatory and praying for the dead and getting them out earlier is invalid. Sola Scriptura. Yeah. Martin Luther counters their argument by saying Second Maccabees isn't scripture. Jerome said it's not scripture. Yeah, he, he literally, he mentions Jerome. He does. He tells like, yeah. li- nobody's ever accepted the Apocrypha writings as scripture. They're not, and oh he says, gosh. they're not for making ecclesiastical dogma. They're not for making doctrine. Yeah. You've made a doctrine from a book we're not supposed to make doctrine from because it's not scripture. And that was his argument. And I think he's right because that is what Jerome said. That's how it had been regarded all the way through, that these books weren't scriptural. Yeah, and so it, so it just now I think that paints a bigger picture of what was really going on here. It does. So so Martin Luther's reading leading the Reformation, and people are saying, "Yeah, let's go with what Scripture says." The Catholic Church leads what's called the Counter Reformation. Right? They have to they have to do some PR. They have yeah. to fix this mess. In fifteen forty six, they have the Council of Trent. Right. Big Catholic Church council to make decisions on um, certain things in response to Martin Luther and the Reformation. Now, on April 8th, 1546, they came out with the decree concerning the canonical scriptures. And I have got to read you this. 
This is what the Catholic Church said in 1546 at the, at the Council of Trent. And it has thought it—sorry, let me start over. This is interesting. It's, it's written in old style. Yeah, obviously. yeah, yeah, of course. And it has thought it neat that a list of the sacred books be inserted in this decree, lest a doubt may arise in anyone's mind which are the books that are received by this synod. They are set down here below. Of the Old Testament, the five books of Moses, to wit, which is which are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, four books of Kings, two of the Paralipomen, Lipomenon, which Lipomenon. is Chronicles, yeah. <laughs> uh, the first book of Esdras, that's Ezra to us. Right. First book of Esdras is Ezra. And the second book of Esdras, which is entitled Nehemiah, we call it Nehemiah. Right. Tobias, Judith, that's Tobit and Judith, those are apocrypha. Mm-hmm. Esther, Job, the, the Davidic Psalter, the Psalms, consisting of 150 Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Canticle of Canticles. You know what that is? I don't Song so. of Songs. That's what Song of it? Solomon, yeah. Canticle of Canticles? Yeah, Song of Solomon. What does Canticle mean? Song. Song? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, I guess. I should have yeah. clarified that. It's interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, wisdom. Uh, wisdom, that's Apocrypha. Mm. Ecclesiasticus, not Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiasticus. Right, there's a difference. Uh, Apocrypha, mm-hmm. right? Isaiah, okay. Jeremiah, yep. yep. With Baruch, apocryphal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, the 12 minor prophets, which are uh, Osi, which is Hosea, mm-hmm. Joel, Amos, Abdias, which is Obadiah, Jonah, Micaeus, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, uh, Sophonias, which is Zephaniah, yep. and Agias, which is Haggai, Zacharias, which is Zechariah, and Malachias, Malachi. Mm-hmm. Uh, two books of the Maccabees, Okay, we just apocrypha, about that. Yeah. Yep. the first and the second. Now here is the key. They've listed, here's the books of the Old Testament. Yes. Right? This is what we, the Catholic Church, deem as Scripture. But if anyone receive not as sacred and canonical mm. the said books entire with all their parts as they have been used to be read in the Catholic Church and as they are contained in the Old Latin Vulgate Edition— and knowingly and deliberately condemn the traditions aforesaid, let him be anathema. Mm. This is when the Catholic Church said that the Apocrypha is canonical scripture. Yeah. and, and Before this, they didn't believe it. All of its entirety. Martin Luther comes along and says, we shouldn't make a mountain out of a molehill with a purgatory thing and prayers for the dead based on 2 Maccabees. Yeah. And then they said, we'll counter that. It is scripture. Yeah. Therefore, if you want to do sola scriptura, you have to agree with purgatory and what we're doing. Mm. This so in direct yep. response to Martin Luther, the Catholic Church made the apocrypha canonical. Yeah. Even though for 1100 years after Jerome wrote the Vulgate, they didn't consider it scripture. Right. So so it was a power move. Yes. Really. It was a power. Yes, this is exactly what it is. Yeah. And to this day, the Roman Catholic Church has these apocryphal books as scripture and the protestants do not and that's why because they hadn't been scripture until the catholic church said and now they are yes is that fascinating it is it's so fascinating and it's just like thinking that through as uh, like the history of how these events unfolded Mm -hmm. it's so fascinating because it helps you to kind of 
see a bigger picture of why they they put up with these inconsistencies in the apocrypha. Yes. It's because they were using it for political gain. Yeah, it was a power move. Like th yeah. there's no doubt about it. It was to counter what Martin Luther was saying. Um, so I do not think that they are scripture. I yeah. don't. Now I don't I, think I, that they're evil. No, no. I of think we not. can read them like we can read other historical books, and we can probably learn some really cool stuff. I mean, like Hanukkah, the tradition of Hanukkah comes from the apocrypha books. Like there's nothing mm, wrong yeah. with that, right? Um, but we we have to say, okay, what are the qualifications for scripture? Yes. In the Old Testament, yes. it was like a prophet wrote the book, or it was words yeah, right. of a prophet. It was words of God. Yeah, and then they right? gave the test for a prophet, so you could test yep. if it was canon because it's because prophecy. if it comes yeah. true, if there's con but the the apocrypha has contradictions and it, it does, has yeah. big time historical gaps. Well, well, and not only that, it, we just talked about it. it. They the books don't claim that they are scripture. No. They don't claim, and that's that's why we can still trust them at, not as a scripture mm -hmm. authoritative position, but as a, a literature that we can read and think sure. through and process theology. And that's what Christians, because, that's yeah. what the people had said all along. They're fine to read. Yeah, they're good for they education. Don't, they're not they're heretical for directly to the point no. to where they like they blaspheme God or like no. they make false prophecies, nothing like that. But there's stuff in them that's wrong yes. and inaccurate, and we shouldn't use them for doctrine because no. I don't think praying for the dead is prescribed anywhere in scripture. It's not. Hebrews yeah. says it's appointed for man once to die, then the judgment. Right. So it doesn't seem to me like there's a purgatory thing where we can pray people out of. Right, right. And yeah. and it also smacks against justification by faith. If we're supposed to pay off or burn off our further sins in a place of punishment until we atone for them, Jesus didn't atone for all my sin. Yeah. That's a problem. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. So... Um, I see why the Catholic Church wanted to use that to say what we're doing is okay right. with selling indulgences, but Martin Luther was right. It isn't scripture. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Even like we said, like like the old pe like the people who made the literally the guy who made the Latin Bible who translated it, yeah, said says it's, it's not. And it's like oh, we have all these historical inaccuracies with them, and then yep. um, just uh, like tons and tons of arguments against. The apocrypha being scripture, yeah. Uh, but the crazy thing is, uh, and Robbie, I, I, I think the the Catholic Church probably just won't go back on this because for them to uh, acknowledge today and yeah. see this the, as they like, were saying hey, that that church council and that pope was wrong. Yeah, and by doing yeah. that, you're saying that the pope is not infallible, yeah. and therefore we shouldn't trust what the Pope says. Yeah, and, so, and the, the whole council of the Catholic Church. And then and then you have right. to say, well, what tradition should we trust? Should we throw out all tradition? And it's yeah, a, it's a yeah. house of cards. And so so it really, that so they can't go and take their word back on that mm. at this point. That's, and that's why scripture should just be our authority, not people. Right, yeah. The word of God, sola scriptura, is faith alone, by grace alone, yes. in Christ alone, scripture alone. <laughs> like that, like it's true. Like yeah. that's, uh, yeah, I'm a Protestant because I don't think that there's real credibility for the Catholic Church and how they've handled things yes. and, and in what they say their authority is. Going back to the Pope thing, we talked about that. I mm -hmm. don't think that, that the, the, there's a real office of the Pope yeah. as, as God's mouthpiece to us now. Uh, right. If you didn't check out that episode, go a few episodes back and talk about is the Pope real, right? Is, right. is it a legit thing? We'd love for you to listen to that. But um, it's because they accept those types of things that then they can deem and make these big decisions oh, that yeah. everyone has to accept. Yeah, you know? well, they were just so powerful back then. Like they, sure. they were the main, they were the authority. Yep. And that's why that's why it was so hard for people to stand up against them. That's why, like this, uh, like, and that that's the thing uh, they keep 
coming. They came out with the Counter Reformation because sure. there was pe- there were people coming out and standing up against them. Yep, and uh, that's where like they just kind of entangled themselves in uh, a web of inconsistencies and lies. They and did issues, and it's it's built up on them now. It is yeah. well, and and one one last interesting thing I, I just thought of was mm-hmm. that um, Martin Luther when he translated um, the Bible into German so people could sure, read it because right. nobody spoke Latin at the time. Um, he actually did put the Apocrypha in the German Bible as part, like kind of like an appendix. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, this is what he says. Mm. This is really interesting. Um, so before the appendix of the Apocrypha, uh, he wrote this. Mm. The Apocrypha, books which are not to be held equal to Holy Scripture, but are useful and good to read. <laughs> is that great? Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think as Christians, or as Protestant Christians, uh, maybe we should go read the Apocrypha just to see what they say. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. wrong with it. We just, we don't, well, I mean, I think there's issues with them. Sure, sure. But it's not a sin to go read them. We just don't think that there's scripture. Yeah, yeah. And right? it's not, like we said, again, it's not like you're reading the Book of Mormon. It's not like you're reading, sure. uh, like, like the Quran. This is, yeah, this is. They're historical books, but they're not the Bible. Right, yeah. yeah. And so, so that's, that's the thing. I, I think it, it would be good to read them. I, I haven't actually read the Apocrypha myself. Mm-hmm. And I think it'd be interesting. The to Maccabees get... are pretty exciting because it talks about the wars of oh, the sure. family and, and they're fighting for, for Judaism in, in the first, uh, first century BC. And it's pretty fascinating stuff yeah that's yeah. cool cool yeah. so yeah but either way i think uh this has just been a great uh overview robbie of yeah. um, the apocrypha and the arguments um against it why we we don't have to take it as scripture as the catholic church does mm-hmm. and uh we I, I just hope that um our listeners out there that and watchers now on youtube that um that you guys uh have kind of just been able to see a bigger picture mm-hmm. of what was going on with the apocrypha and why uh, we don't take it as scripture because um, there, there's just no evidence uh, or arguments, I should say, that are in support of it. And yeah. uh, we, we shouldn't have to live by the, the authority of the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. uh, but, but by the authority of what Jesus said and what Jesus did, right? That's right. And that's the focus. That's the gospel. And it's, it's by what he did that we are saved, not by praying to people. Uh, who are who are dead or like earning yep. more points out of purgatory, like nothing like that. No works can get us into heaven, but it's by Jesus and yep. what he did. And that's what he said. And that's what he said. And yeah. anything that, that goes against what his word says, I can throw out and I don't I don't have to yes. care. Yes. Right? I don't I don't have to. So if now again, you gotta remember the Catholic Church really holds tradition as a big right, part of, yeah. of their past and they hold the Pope and his word and church decisions big. So we hold scripture alone. They hold scripture in tension with tradition, in tension with authority. Yes. And so when you're talking with your Catholic friends, you can't just come guns a-blazing at them. You've got to be kind, and you've got to be generous, and you've got to help them think through this stuff. Like Martin Luther had to think through it on his own. He was Catholic. Yeah, yeah. we got to remember that. No, that's true. And, and, you know, I think there is a way you can lovingly and gently talk through a Catholic friend about the Apocrypha and just say, hey, look, I— I don't. I don't take it as authoritative. But but the thing is, you you got to focus on the the key uh, issues with Catholicism, and that's that's the focus on salvation, right? Yeah. Through Christ, and then once you get through that point, and you focus on Jesus and what He did, paying it all, no works, mm-hmm. right? Uh, then that's where you start to see the rest of it, kind of like their eyes are open at that point, and you can start to reveal, like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. Yep. So uh, it just about this isn't this episode was not meant to be an apologetic method on how we can no. approach uh, Catholics and talking to them about the apocrypha, but this brings up points that it's good for us as Protestants, as believers, to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
why we don't take this as scripture. And so we hope that this was just an encouragement to you uh, and that this benefited you and helped you to trust in the, the scripture that we do have a little bit more and understanding mm-hmm. that there's a process here. We don't just let, I mean, our early church fathers did not just let any book no. into the canon. Like, No, there was criteria there's and there's reasons for it. And if, if you want to study yeah. this more, I, I brought three of my favorite books on right. this type of subject, not, not just on the Apocrypha, but also on the canon of scripture and why mm-hmm. we do accept the 66 books that we accept. Um, uh, this one is great. This is called How We Got the Bible uh, by Neil Lightfoot. Mm. Phenomenal book. Pretty easy read, too. It's not super uh, a- academic and intellectual. But How We Got the Bible by Neil R. Lightfoot. Would recommend you reading that. This book that I don't have the dust cover for anymore, it's called The Canon of Scripture, and mm. it's by F.F. F. Bruce. Classic. Great book on um, what canonicity is, what it isn't, apocrypha, all those types of things. Love it. Canon of Scripture by F.F. Bruce. And then the last one, which I found a ton of benefit in this, is by one of my old professors. Uh, He used to be at Phoenix Seminary, uh, but then he went to uh, Golden Gate Seminary. I don't don't know if he's there anymore. Mm, I I haven't kept up with him, but he was a great guy. Paul D. Wagner. Paul Wagner wrote this book called The Journey from Text to Translations, The Origin and Development Mm. of the Bible. This is phenomenal, and he's an Old Testament scholar, right. uh, uh, specifically an Isaiah scholar. Um, so if you want to know about the Old Testament, the Pseudepigrapha, the Old Testament Apocrypha, the New Testament, like this mm. is the book, The Journey from Text to Translations by Paul Wagner. Would love right. for you to check these out. I'll put links to all of these books in the show notes so you can just get them there. Right. And yeah. uh, if you want to go pick some up from Amazon, that would be awesome. But um, we do need to be informed about where this book came from yes and how it was compiled and who wrote it and we have to be informed about what we regard to be the word of god yeah it's a big deal and and apologetics it it encompasses everything right we gotta we gotta always be prepared to make a defense for the reason for the hope that is in us and that that includes uh a reason for why we hold to what is scripture right and that's uh, uh, to understanding what we believe and that's a big part of it is uh, understanding why we have the biblical text that we do and why some were not included in that. And so, uh, again, I uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, episode of Christ, Culture, and Coffee as we've been continuing our series on Catholicism. Um, please, if you have any more questions about anything that we've discussed in this podcast or just anything in general you'd like to reach out to us with, go ahead and follow us on our social media platforms and um, send us a message on there. We'd love to get back to you and um, just kind of help... Cl- Bring clarity to anything that you may be confused on. And uh, we just love to help out our followers and our listeners um, with any questions that they might have. So uh, be, be sure to reach out to us and follow us on all of those platforms. And we yep. are looking forward to seeing you guys next week. Yep, we'll so. continue our series on Roman Catholicism. We've got a, a little more to talk about. Yeah, yeah, not this, done yet. Which will be We're fun, yep. So make sure you join us next week. Thanks so much for being with us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We will talk to you and hopefully see you then. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.